Hello and welcome to the EDH Retcast, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he plays the card Conduit of Worlds because he's got a conduit attitude. It's Matt Morgan. Joey, I found out why Dracula always has to bite people on the neck, and it's because he's a necromancer. <laughs> Hey, Matt, that's I thought you would like I thought you would like that one. That speaks right to me. That's the absolutely. Oh, heck yeah. Put, putting the I, romance and necromancy. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, well, that I know you're a sucker for vampire jokes. So like, I, I, I see why you would like it. I adore you. That's this. This is my favorite. Oh, that's terrific. <laughs> All right. Up next, he plays the card Petrify because he accidentally mixed it up with the card Putrefy. It's Dana Roach. I, I'm all set for this new year. I got my shopping done. I bought champagne. I bought a couple of loaves of bread just in case I need to make a toast. I am good to go. <laughs> mm. And you can make French toast as well because... Only if you're in champagne Paris. Champagne started that way too. Otherwise, it's just just a, it's just a sparkling greeting. <laughs> uh, yes, okay. that too. That is terrific. All right, uh, Dana, what are we talking about in this uh, final episode of the year? Was 2023 a good year for EDH? Are you asking me, or is that what the episode topic is? That is what we're talking about. That is the question okay. that we'll be putting forth tonight. All right. Sounds good. Uh, real quick, though, before we start answering that question, we've got some shout outs we got to get to. First, I'd like to thank Chase for their help editing the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And if you'd like to support the show, there's lots of ways you can do it. For $0 a month, you can leave us a review on your local podcast app. You can like this video on YouTube. You can subscribe on YouTube, too. Or for X dollars a month, you can go to patreon.com slash EDHRecast. We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to join our Discord community you want to see all of our historic challenge stats picks, there's all sorts of levels over there and more over at patreon.com slash EDHRetCast, including the weekly, the coveted, the patron <laughs> shout out of the week. And so for the last one of the year, we are going to give a very special shout out to not Patrick, but Peter Stewart. So I, I know you're so close to being Picard, but <laughs> Peter, we support you. And we appreciate your support. It's still a knight, just yeah. like Sir Patrick Stewart. Sir Peter go. Stewart yes. uh, is also a knight in our hearts. But you're the big Stewart, not <laughs> Stuart Little. <laughs> the big all right. Yeah. Thank you so, so much to Peter. Thank you to all of our patrons. The generosity that y'all have shown us this entire year is really just so, so incredible. And it really helps us continue to do what we love to do here. So just thank you all again. And now, guys, now we're getting into it. Was 2023 a good year for EDH? Well, I guess do like a bit of a flyover of the year. Get any uh, get get into any of the the data, the most interesting and most popular cards and commanders of the year. Perhaps a little bit later, because for now, just to get a brief overview uh, overview, like I guess generally vibing, Matt. Let's throw it to you. Like yes, no. How do you feel about EDH in 2023? Well. I mean, we did get a Lord of the Rings set. And so very <laughs> obviously for me, it was a great year. I mean, it was my favorite set of all time. And I, it's going to be very, very hard to unseat that. But even if you take that one specific set out of the picture, I loved it. 2023, it just, the game get, get, keeps getting bigger and bigger. There's more people playing than ever. And it's just, it's hard to just argue with the numbers. And it's not even EDA Trek numbers. It's just the numbers of people at events and playing the game. Yeah. Totally fair. And Dana, how do you feel? 
I think it was. I, I have some reservations and I have some things we'll talk about over the course of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think overall there was more good than bad. And I think a lot of the stuff that people don't like or, or complain about over the course of the year too are things that maybe bothered entrenched players more than they bothered new players or they bother, bothered terminally online players more than it bothered people that aren't terminally <laughs> online. Um, <laughs> I think it's a little bit easy to get to think too much about, you know, the Twitterverse echo chamber or the comment section echo chamber or something. But I think overall it was a pretty good year. And I think most people felt the same way. Yeah. Uh, genuinely, when I was like looking over the different sets, I was like, oh yeah, that happened this year too. Oh yeah, that happened this year too. There were some duds. Uh, absolutely. There, there were some moments that made me, that turned me into a little bit of a grumpus, but like those moments were few and far between. Like when I think of how 2023 compares to 2022, like I don't know. I, I didn't like, I wasn't mad about 20, the stuff that happened in 2022 necessarily, but at the same time, like this year we didn't have a 30th anniversary product disaster for instance. So like in general, I'm going to give a thumbs up to years where that doesn't happen, I guess is kind of my vibe. I mean, we still had some kerfluffles. Uh, the execution of a few sets maybe wasn't the greatest. They still exist and they still got cards out there, but they could have absolutely been better. I will not deny that uh, there were still some things you just look at as like, I don't I don't understand why you did this. Uh, please maybe don't do that again. Matt, could you possibly be referring to the price of the Commander Masters re- all reprint set? Is I that think possibly... the price of Commander Masters in general. Okay, so yes, yeah. Commander Masters had some absolutely fantastic reprints. It got a lot of cards out there. It got Smothering Tithe down to $15 for the first time since it was originally printed. I mean, and it's gone back up since then, but like it did a good job at getting prices lower, but it just didn't do enough to have any long-term effect. And I think absolutely, yeah, just people got priced out of it. Yeah. Yeah, it, there was a lot of year in this year, um, for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that, that is a great way to put it. Love that. Yeah. Um, so uh, there, there, a lot happened, and I think in general that would be my my large overarching criticism was just the amount of things and, and, <laughs> yeah. and we'll get into some, some specifics on that, but um, there was a lot of things and I think mm-hmm. not always to everyone's betterment. I mean, it, yeah. So like when you talk about the lot of things, Phyrexia all will be one March of the machine, March of the machine aftermath, Lord of the Rings, commander masters, which was an all reprint sets, but it did have those precons associated that did give new cards, uh, wilds of all drain, doctor who lost caverns of Ixalan. And there are a lot of precons <laughs> with each of those. And like Matt, literally when we were putting the show together, when I was counting the number of reprint sets, I missed some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like- <laughs> yeah. You totally forgot that Dominary remastered was the very first set of the year, which was another reprint set. Um, we started off, it just it's so easy to forget some of the things that we got because the year just came by so fast. Well, I mean, Dana, you just mentioned the number of sets right there, and I got the news for you guys. It ain't slowing down anytime soon. Right. No, like it's not. <laughs> no, no. Um, and I think also, like, there are certain trends that we can see. Like, it's it's clear now that Wizards is using those universes beyond sets, like Lord of the Rings, as a new player onboarding sets. Like, they have that scheduled as that slot for the year because they're clearly a better way to, uh, to for, they're a better way of player acquisition than the core sets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are these different trends that we are seeing emerging, and some of them can be like, whoo that's a bit much but at the same time like matt's joy over lord of the rings is one of my favorite things about the entire year and i guess like to, to kind of focus on the, the joy of it there are these little details that really stand out like for instance i'm really happy to see that in for instance the precons that we got this year it felt like there were a lot fewer cards that would go everywhere which is definitely a pattern that we were seeing with precons for a while mm-hmm. and those things started to get a, a lot more niche and it's just like this will kind of 
work best in this very particular strategy rather than this needs to go in every artifact deck ever kind of situation. And that was a really nice, refreshing thing to see. And I love focusing on those details. Yeah, they definitely have just figured out how to make good precons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in a way that wasn't the case three years ago, even, and definitely wasn't the case six or eight years ago. Um, these decks are playable and focused out of the box. Um, and I think that is really good for new players getting into commander. Now there's a downside to that. I think, um, in that's if they print a precon that reflects a deck that you already have, or that already exists, the deck really often winds up just supplanting your deck. Um, but like, uh, that's, I don't know. I don't know. If that's a, that's a, not avoidable. I don't think, I think like when you make good precon decks, that's just going to happen. And I don't know if the alternative is better necessarily. Well, and I remember when people used to say that a pre a precon was a precon and like on the power scale, it was fairly low, but I don't mm -hmm. think that's really the case anymore. I think no. you can get just any given pre-constructed deck, open it, sleeve it up and, and play. And you're, you're going to have a fairly well-functioning deck that's going to do what you want it to be doing because it's going to tell you what it wants to do with that face commander. And that just, like you said, Dana, that wasn't the case for a long time. Uh, one other positive this year, um, I think they just have figured out universes beyond as well. Mm. Um, yeah. And maybe it's because we're getting a little bit used to it. I think that's maybe part of it. But I think they, they found a way to make the IPs connect with magic players in a way that I don't know if they did a couple of years back. Um, there was something kind of abstract about the Godzilla cards, about the Walking Dead cards a little bit um, that just felt detached from magic as the as, as like a whole product. And that doesn't feel like it is anymore. I mean, the Doctor Who IP doesn't necessarily look like magic's IP, but the cards feel at home in decks in a way that I just didn't feel when they first started doing this. Hmm. Um, I, I think it's because they've figured out how to make the cards resonate with the characters they're, they're representing as well. But like they've just found a way to make it, it, it I, I keep coming back to word feel, but it feels like it's part of magic in a way that maybe it didn't a couple of years back. Yeah. You could feel the love from the designers in those cards, I think. Yeah. 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 Well, and they made it so much more immersive too. It was, it wasn't like you said, Dana, uh, that's a good word. Immersive is a good word. The Godzilla cards. They were skins effectively, yeah. whereas Doctor Who, like that was a whole immersive set. And if you were a Doctor Who fan, you could feel the the, the ties from the show onto the cards. And that was just a, a, so much just a better way to experience the cards and what they're supposed to be expressing. So how about you, Joey? How, what things this year kind of Marie Kondo style spark joy <laughs> in you? Honestly, I think joy is the right word for it. Like a lot of, especially the settings and stuff that we visited, I was just like, oh, there's so much fun happening in here, especially like the, like even just looking at the art of like the Lost Caverns of Vixelon stuff, or like, I'm not even a, a Whovian, but like, I really enjoyed the designs of the cards that were going on in the, the Doctor Who sets. Like, I think as a whole, maybe the Doctor Who precons uh, of all the precons that we got kind of suffered. Like the villains deck was very, very good, but like, let's be real. It trounced over the other ones. The other ones were just like, they focused a lot more on flavor than like, oh, this deck's gonna like pack a real punch um but even then when i look at the individual designs i feel the love that was coming from it when i look at lord of the ring stuff i feel the love that was coming from those when i look at the art in lost caverns so when i look at wilds of aldrain i'm just like i had just some fun this year you know yeah i i think you put it really well joy you could tell that like the cards that were made with love you can just feel that and like the care that went into some of these designs yeah yeah I, i'm with you as far as like planes go i like eldraine and i like ixalan a lot more than 
maybe the plans we got in 2022. I do not like Nuka Penna. I'm not a fan of, of Kamigawa necessarily. I, I find them both to be like they're checking boxes, whereas I, th- I think there's something it, it, the uh, Eldraine and Ixalan as well both feel much more alive and like a real living fantasy plane versus an archetype. There's also something to be said for like last year, there were some concerning trends that I had, like the number of treasures that they were printing, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we didn't necessarily get, I didn't get that feeling this year. It felt nice to see that had kind of been halted or even this year, we got the return of eminence with that, uh, Siddhar, the, the new Siddhar card, uh, that had eminence for night's decks. And that felt balanced. That felt well done. It, it seems like, okay, I can see little moments where design has reeled back and, and that felt really great. But genuinely, Dana, I think the way that I would have to answer your question is that like, I just felt like the reprints were real good this year. <laughs> I quite enjoyed the reprints yeah. Yeah. this year. I think that's definitely a big highlight was that the the branching evolution got a reprint in a pre-con Acroma's will just got a reprint in a pre-con mm-hmm. black market connection but yeah <laughs> give me more of these those were that was a, a really big top-notch highlight it's really hard to argue against top-notch reprints and it's i i'm glad that we got uh, joey i know you only thought there were two there were three reprint sets <laughs> were three in 2023 <laughs> yeah. like i said it's easy to forget dominary remastered wasn't four years ago like we our, our brain memory says so. Just feels like it. <laughs> it yeah, it, it's, it was less than a year ago. Um, and that also had some very, very good reprints too. And like, don't get me wrong. I do think that there were definitely some misses. Like how was Sliver Hive not in the Sliver Precon, for example? Like that's weird. Or yeah. no doubling season in the Ravnica remastered set. It's just like, really queen? Like th- th- those are weird moments. But at the same time, like the, the mana bases that we got in the Hudex, for example, with the Horizon Lands or, or the, the Innistrad Slow Duels, we happened to get a carpet of flowers. Heroic Intervention, Flawless Maneuver was reprinted, I think several times this year. Um, even training grounds in the aftermath set, like they're, they're peppered throughout the year, were a lot of things that I was happy to see come back, and mm-hmm. that's just a, a level that I really, really appreciate. Well, and we did get a doubling season reprint in Commander Masters. I know it, mm-hmm. it, we didn't see very many copies, and like flavorfully, it would have fit. I agree, same with Smothering Tithe, but we did get reprints of those, and they're half the price they used to be. Or uh, Urza Lord High Artificer was in Dominaria remastered, and that used to be a forty dollars commander. <laughs> now you can get it for less than ten. Like there, there was just so much that came out, and it, it's it's hard to keep up because there were so many reprints. But <laughs> there were a lot of just very very good reprints out there. I mean, Birds of Paradise. You can spend three dollars and get a Birds of Paradise, and that hasn't happened in forever. Or mm. just your your high dollar cards. Vampiric Tutor got reprinted, but also all those mid level cards like Mystic Remora. Those also found ways into reprint sets and stuff like Dominary Remastered, where it just got everything into so much of a more affordable way. To the, there's, they're not a bunch of twenty dollar cards anymore. There's a bunch of five dollar cards, and just it. As a player, I love just the fact that there are so many cards that are just knocked down to that level. Well, so that was a lot about like cards from the past that we saw resurrected with reprints this year. But like, how about some new stuff? And in particular, before we even get to popular stuff, I think we'll save some of the data for maybe the latter half of the episode. But like hidden gems, that's what I want to hear. Like when you think on 2023 and the amount of stuff that we got, was there anything that was like th- that you think is maybe being a little bit slept on? Like like Dana, what's a, what's an interesting hidden gem of the year? Do you do you believe? Um, I don't know if I have anything that we didn't already talk about when we talked about like kind of our year in review. I, I, I think both Court of uh, Garen Brig and Court of Vantress were really, really good cards in Eldraine um, that I've every time I've seen them hit the field, they've overperformed. Um, 
and they're also cards that like kind of generally require a specific deck as well. So I, I like cards like that. I mean, obviously something like Roaming Throne is a disgustingly good card, but <laughs> yeah. it, it, I don't know if it's very interesting either. Whereas I, I think those require you to have a deck and like require you to do things to make them really perform. And when they do, when they fire off, they really fire off. So I, I've enjoyed th- that particular cycle, particularly those two cards. Mm. Matt, how about you? I mean, one card that I see... I see people playing as far as there's one person that puts this card into every deck that it's able, but I don't see a bunch of players adopting it widespread is C double. I think that card just is so much value packed into one card, uh, two blue, blue for an instant that says that the spell can't be copied rightfully. So, but you can <laughs> choose one and if an opponent, and if an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard, you get to choose both where you can copy target spell and choose new targets for the copy or create a token that's a copy of target creature. That just does so many cool things. It's so flexible. It's instant speed. I just the, the people I see playing it, it's doing so much work. But then I just don't see a whole bunch of other people. If you haven't played it before, you're not putting it in any decks. But if you've played it, you realize, yeah, this needs to go in like 10 different decks. Yeah, that's one of those cards that I look at and I'm like, why am I not running this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> yeah. How about you, Joey? What are the cards that jumped out at you this year? Uh, in terms of like a sleeper hit or hidden gems, I, I've been looking at that Cyberman Patrol card from the <laughs> Hudex. It's just a two mana, two, two artifact creature that gives your artifact creatures afflict three. And frankly, every time I've seen that, it's been so annoyingly good. <laughs> I'm just like, dang, th- 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 this one's interesting. Uh, that and also I think ensnared by the Mara from the Who set as well, which is the four mana sorcerer where each opponent gets a villainous choice of either letting you steal from them, <laughs> getting free cards off the top of their deck, getting a free Itali, or uh, doing this weird exile mill that could deal a whole lot of damage to them, actually. Um, so yeah, the, the reception on the Doctor Who cards, a lot of like the big bombastic stuff has kind of taken people's attention. Um, and some of those cards have gotten pretty expensive, but there's some cheap things in there too that also really catch my eye. Um, you know, only 4,400 decks for that Cyberman Patrol card, only 3,300 decks for the Ensnared by the Mara, barely, show, barely showing up in like 1% of decks that can play them. Um, there's an interesting card in there too. Flesh Duplicate is a, a new two mana clone that has Vanishing, and I don't think the Vanishing particularly matters. So that's another one I'm keeping my eye on. 4,900 decks for that. And uh, I, I'd like to see some of those numbers go up because when I've seen them actually hit, I'm like, dang, this is real good. Yeah, yeah, they're... they're- all, there's just so many of those types of cards that just you, it's so easy to forget about them because there's so many big splashy mythics going on you forget about cards mm-hmm. like all of those you just mentioned joy that they're still great cards and they would have been absolute bombs in 2013 but here we are in 2023 and it's we're forgetting about all these powerful cards yeah i mean that, that c double card as well like that one's approaching like two percent inclusion and two percent is very respectable you know eighteen thousand decks but i'm just like y'all there's some real good like th- that could that i think could say to go up th- those effects are real good <laughs> so how about overhyped cards matt what do you think was well like what jumped out of you this year for overhyped cards mm. i mean for overhyped cards for me the biggest one that just leaps out that everybody seemed to latch onto really really hard was delighted halfling it's the number three card from this year i think it's fine it's okay like it it, to me delighted halfling has big noble hierarch vibes we're like years ago let's let story time years ago noble hierarch was an 80 dollar card because it was so good in 60 card formats people thought it was supposed to be good in commander too and delighted halfling got a lot of love in 60 card formats when it first came out i think that's what's happening here with delighted halfling it's good but i don't think it's the number three card of the year 
So when you say overhyped, you do you think it's still currently being overhyped? Because I mean, it's I still, yes, okay. absolutely. Because it's showing up in nearly seventy thousand decks, and it's showing up in eleven percent of the decks that can play it, and that's and definitely that's a high inclusion rate right there. It's fine. I don't think it's the. <laughs> if you ask me to rank the top cards from this year. This card wouldn't even be in the top 10. I made the comment one time, um, just kind of generally speaking, that like your deck isn't doing powerful enough things to probably justify using Dark Ritual. There are some people that are, but like on average, your deck probably isn't doing that. I feel the same thing about the Blooded Halfling. I would be running it in a CEDH list, absolutely. Outside of that, I feel like it, your deck isn't doing things that absolutely need Delighted Halfling to function. And if there's going to be enough times when it's not accomplishing anything for you at all. I 100% agree. Super overhyped outside of really competitive circles. Certainly very replaceable. There are a lot of mana dorks out there that yeah. cost less than a quarter to acquire. So I, I, I it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a good card. None of us are going to arguing that at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you do not need to go out of your way to spend $14 on it. I no. totally understand. No, that. no. I mean, as, as long as we're talking about like Lord of the Rings stuff, I mean, Orcish Bowmasters also came out, but I think that we're all right to fear that card. Um, Mirkwood sure. Bats was talked about a whole lot. Uh, I mean, that card also has an 11% <laughs> inclusion rate in the decks that can play it. Uh, 68,000 decks <laughs> are, are playing it. Um, I, st- I still don't like it, and that was kind of my whole vibe. I'm just like, huh. It- it's weird to me that from the Lord of the Rings sets, some of the most powerful cards were these two orcs and also a bat. <laughs> so like, I find that interesting, but you know. Yeah, I think stuff like Mirkwood Bats, we've hit the saturation point with that kind of effect uh-huh. where, okay, like people aren't adding more of them to their deck necessarily because there's just too many for you to have all of them in your list. So this is basically not an additional effect it's an upgrade over whichever one you took out and i mean that makes your deck better but like i, I am not going to get too wound up over an upgrade mm. yeah well and i th- i think bowmasters we should have been more afraid of if 60 card sure. formats weren't also taking so many copies out of the commander <laughs> right. ecosystem yeah. <laughs> so i i've only seen it on the board once and it got killed right away. I've only seen Mirkwood Bats on the battlefield once, and it got killed right away just because of the reputation. So yeah. I haven't had a chance to really see the impact that they have be- just because they're, they're, the reputation has become kill on sight. Dana, are there any specific examples that strike you as overhyped from this year? Um, you know, I don't think so necessarily. Um, people were a little bit freaked out about the One Ring. And it's a ridiculously good card, but like mm-hmm. it's not is is format breaking as it maybe a felt in um, competitive formats. And even in those formats, it seems like it's been fine. People have you know figured out how to deal with it. It's mm-hmm. no longer the the, the thing that they're mm-hmm. is terrified about as prickly and modern as they were that that first month after it was released. Um, so I think that's a card where I think the the response from competitive players in those circles put over into EDH a little bit. It's, but it's a really good card. I struggle to agree with that. I, I think it warped the game of modern so hard. And the fact that it's gotten nerfed to all high heavens on arena, it's I it's a very, very powerful card. It's probably the, the single most powerful standalone card in this this year, I would say. But statistically speaking, it's not dominating tournament results. Sure, sure. Um, I, I think it warped so much at first in 60-card formats um, that it kind of made the format alter course a little bit. 
There's one other example that I think is probably worth mentioning, and it was near the beginning of the year. There was a lot of hubbub that happened with Elish Norn, Mother of Machines, the mono-white legend who panharmonicons uh, your, your own stuff, but then shuts down Enter the Battlefield triggers for your opponent's stuff. Um, a lot of conversation happened around that one. It's currently showing up in 49,000 decks, a nice gentle 5% inclusion rate for, for that gal there. Um, do we feel like that was also a bit too much drama for the Elish Norn mama or uh, I don't know. How, how are you feeling about that one? I, th I think Elish Norn was very properly hyped. Um, th this, this iteration of Elish Norn mother of machines, I think the, the flip praetors, those maybe were overhyped, oh, really? but mother of machines, I think was very properly hyped and is doing exactly what we thought it was going to do. Kind of like it, kind of like up the beanstalk. You see it, you're like, I know exactly what this card is going to do. It's going to be very, very impactful in pretty much any game it gets played in. Um, I think I think it's properly hyped and, and properly represented in the, in the data. Uh, part of the overhyping with Elish Norn was the comment that had that came out um, that the uh, late great Sheldon Menery made about how like you shouldn't have done this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think Magic players sometimes have a tough time holding two concepts in their head at the same time that can be a true statement because i agree they shouldn't have done that but it also wasn't a problem those two things can coexist sure. i don't think mother of machines is a problem in the format and also they probably shouldn't have done it like i think those are those are equally yeah accurate statements and that's okay yeah ro roaming throne they probably shouldn't have done the yes. exact way that they did <laughs> yeah, that's the example i was gonna it's do. probably gonna be fine <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I don't know if the format's going to be any better if they go go through the effort to ban it. Yeah, um, I don't think it should be banned. The social contract has contract has done so well with cards like Elish Norn, like Roaming Throne. We're like, is it a mistake? Probably, but should they ban it? Probably not. Yeah, R Roaming Throne is the 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 real for me. It is is a very standout card of the year. Um, just because I'm just like, I don't like this. Like, is it an auto-include? No, no, it's not an auto-include. But I, I don't think it was carefully designed. Um, and and if there is a card that I worry could uh, potentially overstep uh, into like circles where it's just like, eh, maybe this is a little bit more, a little bit much, and it's harder to regulate. I think Roaming Throne fits that a lot better than some of the other cards that we've talked about so far. So I have my eye on that one at the end of the year. Um, I, but like, you know. I hope Roaming Throne takes a turn like Wandering Archaic did, where people just get sick of it, like in every single deck, you just get bored doing that. I don't think people will get bored of making of getting two cards exiled from their Prosper every turn and making two treasures every time that they cast yeah. a thing with their Prosper. Yeah. I'm not yeah. getting sick of double my Conrad triggers. And like those are not decks surrounding just a single creature type. And like amplifying those commanders is like, wow. Um, so th those are, are certainly very still wild. So that's why I've got my eye on you, Throne, even though you cost Ward 2 for me to even keep my eye on you. Well, Joey, I know one thing that I won't get sick of is challenging the stats and stealing the segue from you. <laughs> and so probably what we should do is one more time. Let's let's end the year in style. Let's challenge some stats. Uh, I We will, but I, I will actually, once we get back from our break, Matt, I'm going to let y'all know. Mm -hmm the segue count of the year who stole the most segues because <laughs> i did some research to see how many did i actually get this year and which of you won the uh segue count stealing competition um so i think the results Perfect. may surprise you i love it but yes we are going to challenge some stats right after this quick break all right, well, here on our final episode of the year, I will start us off with Challenge the Stats, and we will get to the segue count at the end of Challenge the Stats because we got to focus on some of these numbers first. I want to talk about Miram Sentinel Worm. 
Uh, this dragon's busted. Uh, you know, we were talking about things with Ward 2. This dragon is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but there are some of the, the mana sources in this deck that I want to take a careful look at because I think maybe one of these mana rocks could be changed out for a different one. On Miram's page, we see a lot of, for instance, the dragon orbs, uh, Carnelian Orb of Dragonkind. That's showing up in 54% of Miram decks. That's a really cool mana rock that adds a red and it will give the dragon that you cast haste. Uh, or there's the green one, which will give hexproof and a plus one counter. And those are certainly very interesting. Then there's the blue one, though, the Lapis Orb of Dragonkind that allows you to add a blue and you will uh, scry two when you cast a dragon spell. Showing up in a third of Miram decks, I gotta say, though, I don't like the scry two nearly as much as maybe another mana rock that you could play in that slot instead, and that would be Cursed Mirror. Cursed Mirror is, of course, that three mana red mana rock, adds a red, but it also can enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature on the battlefield for one turn. And as we know, Miram loves to make a whole bunch of copies of all your dragons. So this could be something that you play early just to develop a bit. And it could be something that if you draw this late game, this will just help you do even more of the silly things. Um, so I think I would prefer to see Lapis Orb's numbers go down. I don't think it should be played more than the Cursed Mirror. I think the utility that you get out of the mirror is a lot more impressive in this deck than a Scry 2 benefit. This is a mana rock that you're excited to draw late game in a whole bunch of red decks, but man, especially in this one. Yeah, I, I like the orbs a lot, but I tend to agree the blue one winds up being probably the weakest of that particular cycle. Yeah. How about your challenge, Dana? Uh, my challenge is one of the cards that I, I didn't mention when we talked about uh, underappreciated gems from this year because I was saving it for challenge of stats. Oh. Uh, that's Hilda's Crown of Winter. Um, from thrown from from Wilds of Eldraine, um, three mana for an artifact, uh, one mana to tap target creature, um, and this ability costs one less to activate during your turn. But you can also spend three mana, and you can do this while it's already tapped, so it doesn't have to be untapped to use this ability uh -huh. to sacrifice it to draw a card for each tapped creature your opponent's control. Um, I've never seen this hit the field and have it not just be supremely powerful. Um, it's not breaking games, and it's kind of one of those cards that's easy to ignore, but it just sits there being frustrating <laughs> and tapping down a threat, and then all of a sudden, you know, when you need to draw a few cards later in the game, you draw, th uh, you know, two, three, four cards, or you draw like six or eight or 10 or 12 cards, depending on what's going on. Um, it's just a really, really powerful card, and it's only in about 5,000 decks in EDH Rex so far. What's really kind of shocking about it, though, is it's only in eight uh, Glissa the Trader decks, a, a commander that can recur it after it's sacrificed to draw some cards. Uh. It's only in three of 2,700 Doretti Scrap Savant decks, a, a commander that can also recur it. Similarly, it's only in 60 Sir Ginger decks. Um, so uh, there's just a lot of places, particularly like colorless commanders, Karn Legacy Reforged, or any of the Eldrazi commanders that don't have a lot of draw options either. It's just a really powerful card in general, but there's a lot of places that it should see way more play, and those specific decks should be running Ildis Crown of Winter way more often. Yeah, Dana, I've seen the damage that you can do with a Keep Watch, which is that three mana blue draw card for each attacking creature. Yep. <laughs> so for, for this thing to enable itself and to threaten that Keep Watch ability yes. is really awesome. And to give you that utility of just like, oh, I'm going to stop this thing from being able to block me or politically I can use it or I can stop someone from being able to attack me. And I've got this pseudo Keep Watch ability just like waiting here in the wings. And this also has a, a lot of mm, maybe I don't want to attack this person energy to it. Uh, 
uh, and I can't attack this person energy to it. Like if I attack this person, then well, shoot, I, I could then like make them draw into an answer that will like fog or destroy my attacking creatures or something like that. Like, yeah, this I, I can see why this is such a nuisance. Well, and keep watch is just the attacking creatures. Uh, Hilda's Crown of Winter is all tap creatures your opponents control. So, like, if you've got three people that have multiple tap things, in addition to the attacking creatures, you're drawing cards. Yeah, it's not a surprise because it's sitting out there in play. But um, yeah, the, the upside on this is huge. And, and worst case scenario, you're tapping down the biggest threat that might be swinging at you. Yeah, um, there's just a lot this card does, and I, I think it definitely needs to show up more, particularly in decks that can abuse it. Well, I'll wrap us up then. So we got an email from James Creener who gave us a really, really good challenge. It's calling back to an old card. Dana, I know this is a favorite card of yours in Cream of the Crop. So James found another home for this card. So James says, I figured I would share a love for a card that is going underappreciated. That is Cream of the Crop showing up only in 4.5 Knessos decks, which is Knessos Priest of Thassa. So Knessos is one in a blue for a legendary Merfolk cleric with that is a 1-3. Says, if you would scry any number of cards, scry that many cards plus one instead. But the ability that combos really well with cream of the crop is where you can pay three and a hybrid blue green and look at the top card of your library. If it's a Kraken, Leviathan, Octopus, or Serpent creature card, you can put it on the battlefield. If you don't put it on the battlefield, you may put it on the bottom of your library. So this pairs very, very well with cream of the crop where when it enters the battlefield or when a creature comes into play under your control, you get to look at the top X cards of the library where X is that creature's power. If you do put one of those cards on the top of your library and the rest on the bottom in any order. Mm. So James says there are two things going on with Knessos. So first off, the ability is a May ability. So if you've already scribed good cards to the top of your library, you don't need to worry about cream of the crop bottoming cards away. And second is that the cards you bottom aren't in a random order, like with some of the modern effects, you can order them yourselves. So any scry effects, uh, that look at how big the triggers are, the ability can get cards to the bottom that might be relevant for what you want to be pushing through your deck. Um, super likely considering that you're spawning a bunch of big Krakens, <laughs> Leviathans, and all sorts of big sea creatures. So this is absolutely a good challenge because you can set up your next draw, you can set up the next trigger. There's a lot of things going on with this one-two punch I think is absolutely fantastic. So James, first off, thank you for the email. Second off, thank you for the challenge. I think this is a great spot for Cream of the Crop. I know, like I said, Dana loves this card. I like seeing this card and I like seeing a new home for it too. I especially love that this takes advantage of the fact that Cream of the Crop doesn't draw you the card and instead it puts it right there for Knessos to slap another one in play. Yep. And and like if if you get one in play on, on your turn, then like by the time your next turn comes around, you can activate this ability before you draw. If you know the new sea beast that you put on top, this is this is really cool tech. I'm way into that. Well, okay, so Joey, we we like the challenges. And we want to get back to the rest of the show, but you did tell us you kept count. And I'm a competitive person, so I want to know who won the Segway Steel count for this year. Oh, man. Okay. First of all, calling it the Segway Steel, it's not mine anymore. There's, It's not it's stealing. Not. This really just solidifies that Joey's Segway was never a thing, and it's not going to well, we'll, be ever again. <laughs> D- Dana... You and I have homework. We'll find some other <laughs> shtick for next year. So we'll sure, yes. we'll, we'll yeah. let it become yours again. But yeah. anyways, what's the count at? I, I will I will say I am proud of myself because apparently I got eight <laughs> segues this year, which was higher <laughs> than I thought it was. <laughs> like I did better uh-huh. than I thought. My first actual segue though was like in April. <laughs> like it took me <laughs> a while. <laughs> 
Also, Dana gave me one of those, and I didn't know whether to count that, but I did. Um, but it made me feel bad, so thanks, Dana. <laughs> I remember when we, we had... We, Merry uh, Christmas. We, yeah. we, we wanted you to get on the scoreboard, but like not quite to Mercy Rule territory, but pretty close to it. I, I remember I, when I, we had uh, Jim from the Spike Feeders uh, and from the Rules Committee on the show, and I was just like, Jim, this is like my third segue ever, because that was one of the episodes that I got the Challenge to Stat segue. And he was like, mm-hmm. it's July. <laughs> like, it was... <laughs> Looking at the numbers here, I'm actually surprised I'm as close to Matt as I am. I, I thought he had doubled me up even. So, yeah, th- this odd. So, the, the final count Dana got 18 of them this year, and Matt, you got 21. You stole 21 mm. segues, including this episode. I just updated okay, okay, it. So, perfect. congrats. <laughs> congrats I mean, to there, you. Behind the scenes, look for the listeners. There were times where Dana and I would be in chat saying, okay, how are we going to yes. steal this episode? <laughs> yes. So yeah. we, we yeah. would plan it in real time. Absolutely. But really, I think the true MVP is that um, we had a guest who stole the segue and it was Rachel. <laughs> so, like, yes. <laughs> and you weren't even here to... to no. Yeah. <laughs> and she was really like, I'm sorry, Joey, but I got to take this one. So like Rachel Weeks, I think, is the, the real winner in my heart. Um, but technically, by the numbers, Matt, congratulations on stealing the most segues this year. How dare you? <laughs> Ah, well, you're you're welcome, I think, is the the only appropriate response in this situation. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but, you know, that was a bunch of fun, silly data. But, like, maybe let's turn a quick eye towards some of the data of the cards from this year. Um, Because, you know, there were a lot of really interesting standouts, a lot of stuff that was really, really popular. Like, when we go back to Phyrexia, all will be one. We see that the most popular commander was Urtet, the five-color mirror commander. And one of the most popular cards to show up in the 99 was actually a Legend, and that was Mondrak, the token doubler, which is showing up in 77,000 decks, uh, 8% of decks that are eligible to play it. Like, there's interesting data definitely to, to cover real quick before we sign this year off, uh, see if there's anything and any standouts that are worth mentioning, you know? Well, and if we're going to talk about the sets that brought us the most commanders, we, I, I know it's another opportunity for me to talk about Lord of the Rings, <laughs> but there were six <laughs> legendary pairings. So, so counting uh frodo and sam partnered uh there were six legendary command zones that came from lord of the rings that had over five thousand decks to the name and that number and that density of how many decks are being played from this set that is a huge amount because most sets don't even get one or two commanders that hit that five thousand deck mark so to have six different commanders getting that much attention that that is an absolutely monumental number of decks just from one set yeah i'll be curious to see what the numbers when joey and i do our stats show on on the games we log this year but Mm. at least uh, in my memory it feels like i've played against probably more lord of the rings commanders this year than any other sets Mm -hmm. commanders you know in terms of like new things i feel like uh, just the, the amount of times I run into something in the zone from those decks far outweighs the amount of times I run into something from another set. I think that's totally fair. I mean, like the the Lord of the Rings stuff, two of the most popular commanders of the whole year were from that set. Sauron the Dark Lord has 9,100 decks to its name. It's ranked number 47 right now. And Aragorn the Uniter, the new four color one, that's got 8,100, uh, rank 65. Uh, that's impressive. Now, granted, some of the newest sets like Lost Caverns of Vixalon, those are so new that they haven't had the chance to necessarily catch up to stuff like that. That's definitely something that we ought to keep in mind. But Sauron the Dark Lord definitely takes it in terms of like 
commander of the year, I guess. And I'm surprised by that. I'm like, oh, that's the one that caught the most adoption. All right, that, that's cool. So Dana, I think the data absolutely supports your feeling there. But like, yeah, there was a whole lot of the Lord of the Rings stuff running around. Yeah, well, there was just a ton of legends. And and Joey, you did mention Lost Caverns of Ixalan not having been around for very long, but Pentlaza, the, the Naya Dinosaurs command, commander, that's got f over 4,100 decks, which that's a lot of decks for mm -hmm. being out. I mean, as of time of recording, it's only been out for a few weeks. Yeah. So really, Pentlaza is doing very, very well for the amount of time that they've been out. Yeah, and the cards from that set are also seeing a pretty high rate of adoption compared to some of the other stuff this year. Like, we talked about the throne already, but like, Galta Stampede Tyrant is also showing up in 8% of decks that can play it. And it should. That thing's a beast. Have you seen it enter play and bring a whole bunch of other dinosaurs with it? That thing is absolutely ludicrous. Uh, and the new Skull Spore Nexus also, which turns your dead stuff into more dinosaur fungus stuff, 7% uh, adoption on that one. Like, we're seeing that a lot of these sets have had some, like, real, just like killer cards that are making their way into a whole lot of decks and honestly that's really cool to see um and it's also i, I think kind of funny that the long prophesized five color omnath um people you know we everyone joked about waiting for it people weren't joking they built <laughs> 7500 five color omnath stacks um so like that was a thing people not only like made jokes about but like they actually wanted to play it it was the most popular commander from march of the machines and there's a lot of strong popular legendary creatures in march of the machines a lot of strong cards in March of the Machines, too. Yeah, I mean, like, that's where we got the, the battle cycle first showing up, and there's a lot of really good battles at see play. Ozzel with a Shattered Spire is showing up in a lot of decks that just want a second copy of Hardened Scales. Um, there's just a lot of, like I said, just a lot of strong cards, kind of a, a better version of Nissa's Sword and Bitterthorn that I, I, I see showing up constantly. I mean, even just like little useful stuff like Meeting of the Minds, like a, just a really good blue draw spell that you can convoke. Just a lot of stuff in that set for sure. Well, and, and don't, listeners, don't let Dana misdirect you from the absolute bangers that came in the set too, like Itali Primal Conqueror. <laughs> you can still make very, very splashy <laughs> plays with an Itali Primal Conqueror. But sure, yeah. there, there are just so many just role players too. Yeah. Tribute to the World Tree is the most played card from the set. Yeah. That card is, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've never seen it come down and just not change the way that that player had been kind of developing their board. Uh, mm -hmm. City on Fire is such an explosive card. I love it. I love seeing that. So that this set, it, I didn't think at the time we were going to be able to top what that set was doing. Then Lord of the Rings came out, but it's, <laughs> we, we, we've already talked about that set, so I, I can't gush about it more. But yeah, March of the Machine was absolutely fantastic. And Phyrexia All Will Be One also was very, very good. Yeah, de definitely. A whole lot of the sets this year had cards with like really huge adoption. I think Lord of the Rings definitely takes it. But there's one more that I want to shout out here before we start to talk about maybe some sets where the cards had a lower rate of adoption. Um, I just want to talk about the Wilds of Eldraine giving us Stroke of Midnight because Stroke of Midnight is also kind of a stroke of genius. The three mana instant that can kill any non-land permanent and it gives someone a 1-1. One -one. Like this is genuinely a card that I have to look at the really popular generous gift and have a, a conversation with myself about like, which one of these do I want to play? Can I afford to play both in this deck? Like, this is a really interesting card. And it's showing up in 40,000 decks, 10% adoption rate here, which is also way, way high. That's one of the highest ones of the year. Um, you know, Wilds of Drain also gave us really cool stuff like the new Alila or Ariette. Ariette is, you know, 5,800 decks. Proud of her. But I I'm looking at that stroke of midnight like, yo, <laughs> like, like that's where my attention goes to. And I think that's also something we've got to shout out for Wilds of Drain. Well, it's, I'd also like to note that like 10% adoption rate is really good. 
seven years ago, that would have been like 50%. Like that would have been in every <laughs> single white deck. It's just we've gotten to the point where there's so much competition that there's a lot less of these cards that you're like, oh, every single one of these color decks gets this particular card. Um, and, and that's a result of power creep. But I, I think there's also some positives to the fact that you look at a card like Stroke of Midnight that once upon a time I would have ran in every single deck I could have that was playing the color white mm -hmm. to the point where today you're like, eh, there's other options that might fit my deck a little bit better. It's a fantastic card, but maybe everything doesn't run it. I think that's a positive for the game. Absolutely. Well, as a point of reference too of how head and shoulders that one card is over the rest of the cards in the set. It, so Stroke of Midnight is the number 41 card for the year at over 40,000 decks. The next most popular card from Wilds of Eldraine is Beseech the Mirror, which is in barely over 17,000 decks. So over twice as many decks. That is how much of an impact and a splash Stroke of Midnight has made. And the rest of the set, that's not a knock against the rest of Wilds of Eldraine, mind you. Yeah. That's just pointing out Stroke of Midnight, when you're sparking conversations about, oh, is this card better than other... I dare I say staples, the S word, huh. uh, that's how you know you're in kind of a, a rarefied air. Well, and like also from that set, we had Moonshaker Cavalry, like the, yeah, the white right. crater of yeah. behemoth. <laughs> like yeah. that one wasn't the most popular card uh, from that set, which is also like really impressive, really wild to see because, you know, crater of behemoth. I mean, that thing's showing up in 104,000 <laughs> decks. So you look at Moonshaker Cavalry, which is a very similar effect. And you're just like, uh oh, is this heading for that sort of territory? But really, the attention went more towards uh, another direction, towards the stroke of midnight, which dare I say it is competing with generous gift, which shows up in 26 percent of decks that are eligible to play it. And I'm just like. All right, I'm impressed. Like we we commander players like their cool, efficient removal uh, rather than just gravitating towards the big splashy thing, and that's a good lesson for us to keep in mind. So we've been looking at some of the commanders that like had a ton of adoption from a lot of these sets this year. One that jumps out at me that did the opposite of that, or or at least it has the lowest rate of adoption. Uh, the Doctor Who set, um, the the most popular commander in that set is a tenth Doctor and Rose, um, sixteen hundred decks for that pairing. Um, that's a quarter almost of, of what we're seeing from the next set sets most popular commander. Right. Um, and, and now is that a virtue of the fact that like, there's just a ton of popular commanders. So the, the decks are spread out. I'm not really sure. I don't know if we, if you delved into that data, Joey, but that is definitely noticeable how, how much less a sat saturation we have from the popular commander from Dr. Who compared to the other sets. Uh, no, I think the answer is pretty clear here that like even when you just look at the card adoption rate from in the stuff in the 99 as well as that like the, the most popular card from the set is Sonic Screwdriver in 7,500 decks, like barely a 1% adoption rate there. No, I, I think that like while the cards are interesting and I'm enjoying a lot like experimenting with them, it's pretty clear that uh, this one didn't hit nearly as hard as some of the other stuff that came afterwards, like Ixalan, which as you said, was like, <laughs> been, it's been around for a short amount of time and the cards there are way more popular. Yeah. Yeah, I would argue that the folks who Doctor Who resonated with Absolutely, it was a, a, a grand slam type of set. Yeah. But for the widespread audience, I just don't think it had the the appeal that maybe some of the other sets did, especially in the universes beyond. But also, I'm kind of curious too because there are so many different combinations of you know you you have your time lords, you have your your doctors, but then the rest of them, the companions, and just how that worked out with the doctors' companion cards. I don't know if we were going to get a huge number because it's kind of like with partners, something has to be absolutely a powerhouse for partners to really stand out in that crowded field. I think that's maybe happening a little bit here where 
there's so many different combinations that they're kind of cannibalizing sure. the other numbers that you might see otherwise. Potentially, but at the same time, like there are 1600-ish uh, 10th Doctor and Rose pairings, but there are only 1800 decks total where the 10th Doctor is paired with anyone at all. So th those pairings do tend to, it looks like they've kind of found, they've sure. cemented a little bit together. Sure. So like, yes, that can be true, but at least for the top example, that isn't necessarily the case. And kind of going the, the way down, that's also the case for some of the other pairs that we see there too that were initially uh, paired up. There's a lot to experiment with. I still really enjoyed the set, but its delivery was certainly not as impressive as some of the other stuff that we've seen. And unfortunately, there are some other sets that just suffered from like forgotten set syndrome, like Aftermath, <laughs> which, which I feel like every time we mentioned the Aftermath, Aftermath set, we refer to how that set was almost forgotten. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. And the numbers in that one also aren't necessarily the most impressive things either, just because it was such a, a weird set. Yeah, it's it's very much the Kevin McAllister of magic sets. Everyone else packed up and went to Paris, <laughs> and he just got... <laughs> Aftermath was forgotten in the attic, <laughs> waiting for the wet bandits to break in. I I, I mean, that's one way to put it. Um, I don't think I don't think Aftermath set any traps for us, though, because there were genuinely very, I don't know. Very did you buy cards. one of those packs and, <laughs> and pull I didn't any good buy cards? Any packs, no, I, 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 I got a few cards. I got some I was successfully trapped by those packs. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do agree in principle that a lot of people forgot the set even existed. Uh, because it came out, it came at such a short time after the rest yeah. of March of the Machine came out. Mm -hmm. So it, it really was it, aftermath was kind of an afterthought because there was just so <laughs> yeah. much yeah. in the story even that was happening at the time that I, I I just something went wrong with how that was handled. It wasn't midnight feature bad, but it still wasn't great. <laughs> March of the Machine afterthought is an amazing name for that product. Um, yeah, the most popular card from the set was Filter Out. Matt, do you remember what the card Filter Out does? The answer yeah, is no. no. The answer is no, that you don't remember. <laughs> I don't. It was a, a, a three mana blue instant that bounces all non-creature and online permanents to their owner's hands, which is interesting, uh, but is also, like, arguably still has its own, only in niche areas. And then the most popular commander was a new Jeskai Narset, which has 4,600 decks to its name. And uh, honestly, I, I like a lot of the designs that were in this. Like yeah. there's a, mm -hmm. a new Nahiri card, a, a Boros Blink Haste thing that I, I look at that card and just like, ooh, there's some really cool cards here. So it's not that the cards here were bad. It's just that like the way that they were delivered was not a way that allowed them to shine, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, since we're kind of talking about things that, you know, maybe didn't go as well this year or that we didn't like as well this year, should we delve into a few more of those? Is there anything this year, Matt, that, that you thought uh, you took issue with or you thought wasn't a success? Well, I think the the biggest miss in my mind is kind of at the top of everybody's brain with Commander Masters and just how that was mm. handled in general. I think the price point really just shot itself in the foot when it comes to how many people were going to be able to have access to it. Uh, it would have been great to have even more copies out there and to keep some of those prices low. But if for, by all accounts, even from talking to some store owners, the set just was so hard to manage. And that, that really sucks for such a coveted type of set. Yeah, I, I agree with you, the, which is a shame. But like, yeah, the price point on that, I think some of the, the pre-con stuff that they did was interesting. But it also kind of had the commander, I think, 2018 or 2019 issue of being like very hyper niche as well. And that probably didn't help things either. Well, and dare I say even that the pre-cons for this set, the pre-constructed decks that they came along with, 
maybe the closest to a failure they've been with with pre-constructed decks in a mm. long time because the price of those just was so prohibitive. It was so hard when yeah. I, I understand you want to make a premium product for for the established players. The, the Commander Masters maybe wasn't a set aimed at player acquisition. It was more for the established player base. But that doesn't mean we need to completely exclude folks and make it unattainable to kind of the, the one percenters because I... I know some people got the commanders from these precons, but I don't think I saw one of these precons out in the wild. Hmm. Well, I, I mentioned earlier in the show uh, it being too much a year in the year and just being too much in general. That's, I think, my kind of main complaint this year. I mean, you said, Joey, that they reined in the amount of treasures they printed. Um, slightly less than way too many is still probably way too many. And <laughs> okay. they, sure, sure. they compounded on that by like giving us a ton of things that deal with food and a ton of things that deal with clues. Um, you know, ward, uh, particularly ward two being everywhere yes. was probably too much. Yes. I'm, I'm 100% um, with you on that one. Like the, the amount of ward literally doubled this year. That was definitely one of my points as well. It's just like, Oh, that's a concerning trend. Can we not? So Yeah. <laughs> And I, I think you, you said the phrase that Roaming Throne felt not carefully designed. Mm. I don't think that's true. I think Roaming Throne was very carefully designed to sell a whole bunch of cards. Ah, okay. I think that the, everyone involved was well aware of what a strong card that is and well aware of what Ward 2 did with that card. And I think Fair enough. that would be my main complaint is I got a vibe from 2023 that a lot of decisions were made based on what would best move packs regardless of how that might impact game states. All right. Okay. I, I, I can fill you on that one. Um, and as long as we're, you know, talking about other, like, was this a concerning trend of the year? Uh, my other thing was non-legendary clones, which uh, I already talked at length about in our Doctor Who episode with Anna Margaret, because we got like six or seven new ones of those. But like, that's been the trend that I also have my eye on. Ward 2, and also, why are we able to copy legendary things so much? Like, maybe, maybe we, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe, you know, maybe that's the thing that we need to keep an eye on, because it wasn't just in the Doctor Who sets that we saw things that very, very easily make clones of non-legendary things. And that's becoming more of a pattern even if wizard says no we want to scale it back they haven't yet and so i'm just like okay but in 2024 maybe can we <laughs> yeah well in just things that copy stuff in general there's just a lot of like they've introduced the ability to copy spells on the stack you know whether it's an enchantment or an artifact or whatever and have it come into play as a token mm. there's just a lot of copy effects in general out there and i i think a lot of them look safe within the confines of the pre-con or the set they make, but they never get used that way. They get used in a deck with a gazillion similar effects to do something really, really snowball-y. Mm. Again, I, I just think it's it's a symptom of too many things, and given how many cards we have, it's very easy to bake a lot of these things into very exploitative decks, which players are going to play. Like That's the, the kind of thing people tend to do. They want to look for ways to abuse mechanics and... A lot of the things that they've done lately make it easy to abuse mechanics. Fair enough. Well, and I think there's a little bit of a pendulum effect going here, too, because yeah. even on this show, we asked, you know, don't let commanders do everything everywhere all at once. Make <laughs> them do something specific. Make them, you know, kind of fill a role. And so now that they're doing that, they're just making them very, very good at filling that <laughs> right. role. Right. And so it, we don't have Moldrothas anymore. Um, we just have Pentlazas instead. And so... It, it, I, there's going to be a back and forth of this. I, I still would rather have one commander doing something specific and doing it very, very well 
than Moldrotha. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying, Dana. Um, I, I think this is just kind of the, we're seeing very powerful designs. Um, just again, that pendulum is swinging one way. I'm sure it's going to go back another way. Yeah, like I, I talked about earlier having, you know, two ideas simultaneously. I, I can use these things as complaints, but also think it's maybe better than the alternative, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, like sure. these can maybe be problems, but maybe we're still in a better situation than we were several years ago. So it, it, this stuff is very complicated and very difficult. And hmm. there's no situation where we are not going to have complaints. And just because we have complaints doesn't mean the overall state of things is pretty is not still pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that like, you know, holding two things that are true at the same time in your mind, like that was a, another thing when it comes to like reprints. Like I'm mm. really excited to see all of the reprints. I know that's a thing that at your game store, you've heard store owners uh, voice some concerns about. Yeah, I mean, it, it, like reprints are great when you and I are looking to buy cheaper copies of doubling season. But if you are an LGS or something that's got, you know, a dozen copies in their cabinet and suddenly those copies are worth half of what they were, that's not great for stores. Now, is is that worse than like not reprinting doubling season? I don't, I'm not going to say that, but like there is an impact to all of the reprints they do too. Maybe that's better than the alternative, but it does impact your stores, for example, which is where a lot of people go and play their games, you know, a couple of times a week. And if those stores can't make a profit, things become challenging for them. So this ecosystem is very complicated. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it, the, the ecosystem being in flux is a good way to put it, because um, we mentioned like with Commander, with Commander Legends, it did a lot of weird things. It was very hard to get a hold of, and it was very expensive. And so, it's it's hard for me to to talk as somebody who owns an LGS because I've never have. Um, we're not an economy <laughs> podcast by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Uh, but as a player, I love reprints, but I do understand the struggles of the. Everybody needs a place. You you can't play Magic at an Amazon warehouse, you have to go to a local store somewhere. And so, I, yeah, I, if a local store is struggling, then like, I'm, I'm going to try to believe them on what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like similarly, I, I don't love the amount of premium versions of cards we have, you know, every set yeah. that comes out now, there's, sure. there's, it used to be, we got a foil version or, or an extended art version. Now we get multiple different frames or a special colored version or a, you know, a, a numbered version of a card that's colored and frame and frameless and foil. And in, I'm somebody who used to like to bling out decks. And when there's so many of these things, it made me not want to do it. Um, so I, I don't necessarily love the amount of variance we get in terms of like premium versions of cards, but just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not great <laughs> for other people and, and for the game in general, when there's a gazillion premium versions of cards, it makes it really easy to buy that mundane version for a really cheap price. So yeah, I yeah. cannot like a thing and have it also maybe be healthy for the game. Yeah, if it if it's gonna make the base version of whatever card that is all that much cheaper, I am all for it. Um, again, I I'm not selling. I don't have a selling platform, so I'm sure anybody who does keeping track of all these alternate premium versions <laughs> nightmare absolutely nightmare. But but it's also so Dana, you and I play League of Legends. Mm -hmm. There's a huge economy for skins mm -hmm. and chromas. So you buy a skin, you can buy different shades of colors on that skin. That's how I'm approaching. All the different, there's like eight different versions of Mana Crypt in the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. I, it doesn't affect me at all. Um, if you, that's what you want to spend your money on, Godspeed. Um, I'm just going to buy the cheapest version because that's what <laughs> yeah. gets me by. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, that's a good analogy because when we first got a few skins or chromas, you're like, oh, I really want to get that. I'm going to pick up all these for my favorite champ. 
there's just so many now in League of Legends, you're like, I'm just going to take the one I like and that's all I'm going to worry about. Yeah. And that's, that's very much what I've done in terms of premium versions of cards. Like there's just so many of these things that I'm just not participating like I once did. But just because I don't participate doesn't mean it's not useful for a lot of people. Yeah, there are definitely some of these uh, weird trends that uh, I guess that we're keeping our eye on. Overall, though, like I'm certainly like we started off with a whole bunch of positivity at the front of this episode for a reason, right? Like uh, overall, I'm still just like, all right, there's some stuff that has a little bit of concern, but I'm I'm really excited about this year. I feel like in general, I am leaving in 2023 at uh, a more optimistic or uh, a I'm looking forward to stuff a lot more, maybe than how I felt at the end of 2022. Um, 2022, I had more concerns, I think, than I do currently here. And like we we looked at trends in 2022 and certain things there. We we named that year 2022. We named it the year of hidden gems. And now, you know, coming to the end of 2023, guys, what do we name 2023 the year of? Like Dana, to you, what is 2023 the year of? 2023 to me is the year of so much okay <laughs> and, and i'm wording it that way because you can take that in a, as a positive or a negative and i'm not entirely sure how i mean it necessarily right now okay <laughs> matt how about you i mean it's it sounds like a swear word calling something the year of gluttony but like truly there was just a glut of everything and mm. so I'm trying to think of a nice way to say that because saying there was a glut of something, again, it I don't like the tone that sets because it sounds so much meaner than I, I want it to, to be. Matt, that was one of the things I had considered too. And for the same reason, switched it to, to so much. <laughs> That's very, very funny. Uh, for, for my answer here though, and I don't think like it's going to sound facetious, but I'm not entirely kidding about this. Uh, for, for me, 2023 was the year of Baldur's Gate finally got its dang due. <laughs> like, <we laughs> finally realized because the game came out, game of the year there, and people realized, oh, wait, Carlac is really interesting, actually. Wait, Asterion's Thirst is kind of fascinating, isn't it? Like, wait, there, there are some good cards here. I saw a lot of people talking about the cool cards from Baldur's Gate 3 uh, this year. So I'm just like, hey, it finally, it finally got there because a video game put it more on the map uh, would have been lovely if that game had been able to release at the same time as the set but I'll, I'll take it now that we finally have it well yeah Asterion's Thirst is a great card but then it means something different after you've played Baldur's Gate 3 so <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there it always meant that Matt let's be honest <laughs> okay fair <laughs> fair Okay, well, that was a whole lot of stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy to have explored this stuff with you guys, but also we got to hear from our listeners too, right? Like listeners, what did you think of 2023? How do you feel about where the EDH format is currently at at the end of this year? And what are you looking forward to most in 2024? Let us know, like, subscribe, comment, do all of the things that appease the YouTube gods. And uh, fellas, if our listeners want to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on pretty much any social media platform. There is at Mathemus55. It's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, I mean, we are going into 2024, but black lives still matter. Black trans lives still matter. Um, we're here for you and we love you all still. Yeah. And Dana, how about you? You can find me online at Dana Roach. I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDH Recast. And you will also find all of us together at least this year at MagicCon Chicago and probably MagicCon Vegas. Heck yeah, heck yeah, looking forward to it. 
And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz online. Most likely I'm being a fool on Instagram or something like that. And you can find the cast at EDH Retcast everywhere online. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRetcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for their fantastic work on the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And one final thing that I want to say at the end of this year is a quick shout out to Sheldon Mennery. Rest in peace. We miss you, pal. And thanks for making all of this possible. Listeners, we'll be back at you next year with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Mm -hmm.